Good morning. And Happy New Year to everybody. It's wonderful to be back together again, is it not? Yeah, there's nothing like just meeting with fellow believers and worshiping God. It's just good to see you all. It really is. It really is. Well, I don't think this year is going to be like last year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a very unique year. <laughs> very unique year in many ways. But God is still on the throne. He's still at work. Jesus said, my father is at work to this very day. He's always at work. So it's wonderful. It really is wonderful. Yeah. It's Caitlin. Is that right? Caitlin. Yeah, how are you, Caitlin? When we were worshiping, I looked over at you, Caitlin, and I feel like you had an encounter with God at about 14, 15, somewhere in that region. It was quite a strong encounter, and I feel God would remind you of that, because some of the stuff he did then, is still, he's still going to do in and through you, just to encourage you, just to encourage you. It's like he hasn't forgotten it, and sometimes you've wondered, you know, that happened, but yeah. Just to encourage you. I um, phoned, uh, a pastor phoned me. He leads a church in Denver, Colorado. And uh, we are actually going out there in January sometime, towards the end of January. So he phoned me on Thursday to make the arrangements. Some of you know him. He's called TK. We just call him short. He's TK. And uh, he leads a church out there, him and his wife. And he was telling me a story. And I don't have all the facts right, so forgive me. But I just want to get the nuts, the bolts of the story about a family in the church, their son, adult son, was in hospital, very sick, not, not COVID-related, something else related, and they had been praying for him, and they had been praying for him quite a while, and um, I'm not too sure if they were able to visit him with all that's happening. Anyway, one night, um, this gentleman came up to him, and it's, he looked like the cleaner, the person that goes around and cleans. And so he said to the guy, who are you? And the guy said, I'm Gabriel. That's what he said. And he touched him. And two days later, they did some tests because he had cancer. And they couldn't find a trace of cancer in him. Not a trace. They were absolutely shocked. And he got saved. Thank you. My wife's reminding me of some of the details. But I say that to tell you, God hasn't stopped working, despite all that's happening. That's why it was a very encouraging story, and he was telling me the impact that it's had in their church, which is wonderful. He was trying to give me a context so when we get there, we have some sort of understanding. Wonderful, eh? Is God not good? All right, turn with me to John chapter 15. I'm going to try and talk on, I don't know what to call it, I don't know what they're called at the back. Uh, Dwayne asked me and I walked in and I said, I'm not sure. I think we're going to call it fruitfulness. Is that correct, Dwayne? Is that good? Okay, well, it's coming up there. Trust fruitfulness. Okay. It's the heart of the Father that his people be fruitful. So go to John chapter 15. Wonderful piece of scripture. We're going to read from John 1, 15, sorry, 15, verse 1 to verse 16. So it's an extended piece of scripture. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes or cleans, so that it may be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, and you're the branches." If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anybody does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Just think about that statement. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, 
just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in His love. So He's not asking us anything that He didn't have to do. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned or heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. It's an amazing piece of scripture. John, as we've always said, John 14, 15, part of 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 is in a profound piece of scripture. And yet Jesus is talking about fruitfulness. He starts off by saying, no fruit, to fruit, to fruitful, to much fruit, to much fruit that bears glory to my Father, and fruit that lasts. And that's what he's talking about, that he's called us as his sons and daughters to be fruitful. And fruit is a result of a process. It doesn't come overnight. It's a process. We live in an instant society, unfortunately instant coffee, which is great in the morning, and um, very great in the morning. But our relationship with the Lord is, in a sense, the fruitfulness doesn't, it's not an instant thing. It's a process. It's a process. We become who we already are, if I can put it that way. And He determines the fruit. He determines the fruit. Don't live with pressure on you to determine what fruit needs to come out of your life. Let him determine the fruit. We live with so much pressure that this type of fruit's got to come from our life or that type of fruit because that person's fruitful in that area and that person's... So I must be that... No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, just abide in me and you'll be fruitful. It's actually quite simple, actually. <laughs> but difficult at the time. You know, if I, if not difficult is the wrong word, but it's a process. Jesus has promised us fruit we are God's children. We will bear fruit, much fruit, and fruit that lasts. So even when we are not here, there will be fruit that will last beyond us. Amen. That's wonderful. It is to the Father's glory that we bear fruit. It's like all of heaven is saying, go for it. We're with you. We're with you. But it's a process. It really is. And... Um, it's the only one provision to bear fruit. Only one provision. He only makes one provision in all the scripture for us to bear fruit. And that provision is what? Abide in me and I will abide in you. That's the only provision he makes. He doesn't make any other provision or remain in me, as some translation puts. It's ten times he says it in this short space. Or just remain in me. Let me remain in you. Let my word remain in you. And let me remain in you. And you and me, and you'll bear fruit. You'll bear fruit. There's nothing else. It doesn't talk about circumstances. It doesn't talk about what we have or don't have. It doesn't talk about our abilities or giftings. It doesn't talk about the color of my hair or my skin or my culture or my background or my citizenship. None of that's irrelevant, he said. Just remain in me. That's the only provision there. So that's what I want to talk on, remaining in Christ. Because fruit will come. Amen. It really will come. So, and it's fruitful in his eyes. Please never compare the fruit that he wants to produce out of your life to somebody else's life. Never do that because it'll just box you. Never do it. Let him determine it. Let him determine it. So I'm going to tell you an incident. Unfortunately, I've told this incident a couple of times that helped me right in the beginning of my Christian walk, to begin to begin to understand this. It was a process. I have to say it was a process. But it, it, something, it, when this incident happened that I tell you, which you've, many of you have heard, and so I'm sorry I have to repeat it, but it was a truth that he put inside me that I began to pursue. Let me put it that way. 
So I hadn't been saved long, and we went from one city to another city to go take full-time youth ministry, and it was actually with the Presbyterian Church down in Cape Town. Wonderful church, wonderful leaders. The guy, his, his name was Ken, Ken Turner. He was very gracious to us. And Michelle and I went into full-time youth ministry there, and it was a real learning curve for us. A real, I mean, a real learning curve. I had just been saved six months. Danny just recently bought a Bible, so I knew nothing, but it was a wonderful, wonderful learning curve. And I'll never forget, I think we were there about three months. This is not the incident, this is something else. And we were praying for somebody on a Sunday evening, and I had my hand over them like this, and I had my eyes closed, and I was praying for them. I wasn't touched, I was just standing there like this, and I was praying, but I was praying with all my heart, and just praying and praying and praying and praying. And then I opened my eyes, and they weren't there. And I'm thinking, where are they? They were lying on the ground. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? So that's what I'm saying. It was a learning curve. It was a real learning curve for us. That's what started to happen. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But what happened was I was sitting in my, my office reading my Bible, being very spiritual. And, um, <laughs> and Michelle walked in, and, um, <clears throat> and uh, she started to speak to me. And if you've heard me tell the story, forgive me. But I was still reading the Bible, and I even had the thought process, can't you see I'm trying to read the Bible? That's what's going on in my mind, but Michelle's talking to me. <coughs> Excuse me. But I wasn't giving her the attention. And the guys will know what I'm talking about. When you're watching football or whatever sport you are, and you're busy focused on the TV, and then your wife walks in the door and talks to you, and you just go, uh-huh, yes, that's wonderful, great, go for it. And then she walks out, and you think, what did she say? What did she say? She had no clue what she It was something like that. That's what I'm trying to say. So she got upset. So she left, but when she left, the door didn't close gently. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Didn't close gently at all, in other words. But anyway, now the peace that I had was gone. That's gone. I was just reading the Bible, peaceful, but that's gone. Now that's gone. Who knows what I'm talking about? All right. That's gone. And as I'm sitting there, letting this work through my mind and saying, but I was just reading my Bible. I felt the Lord speak to me and say, go and apologize. My mind said, but I didn't do anything wrong. But my heart said, go apologize. I honestly did not want to. I'm just being honest. I just did not want to. So I got up out of my chair, and she had gone into the bedroom, and she was in the bedroom crying, which I understand. So I opened the door, and I said, we need to speak. I didn't say it nicely. And so we walked out, and we walked into the lounge, and she sat in that corner, and I sat in that corner over there. <laughs> and as I sat down, there's a scripture that's going to come up behind me. As I sat down, this scripture in Philippians came up. I don't have it in my notes. You can throw it up. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That's the scripture that came to me. As I sat down, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. That's what came to me. So I said, Michelle, I'm sorry. I didn't give you the attention you deserve. That's all I said. I didn't justify it. I didn't say, but I was reading the Bible. None of that. I just felt. And as I said that, the peace of God came. As I said that, it was like I was back reading the Bible. The peace of God came. And it was out of that incident that I understood the difference between relationship and fellowship. Relationship and fellowship. I have a relationship with Michelle. She's my wife. When I wake up in the morning, she's my wife. When I go to bed at night, she's my wife. But that incident, because I didn't give her the attention she deserved, I still had a relationship with her, but my fellowship was broken. It was broken. Just broken. I had to go put it right. And I realized at that time that that's what it is. That's what Jesus is trying to say to us here. I have a relationship with you. Because of what I'm going to do and die on the cross. And I'm going to reconcile you back to the Father through my blood. 
You're going to become a child of God. That is a relationship that's a fact. But he's saying, but I want fellowship with you. And fellowship can be broken, not relationship. And that's what he's trying to say in the scripture. I need fellowship with you. I need fellowship with you. And that's what it means to abide. It's that deep, intimate fellowship. It's spending time. Whatever that looks like to you, whatever that looks like to me, just sitting down and spending time with him. And how many of you know that is not easy at times? The dogs come in, the telephone goes, the coffee's cold, or whatever it is, whether you're drinking coffee or not. And I find even in times where it is tough, where nothing seemingly happens, down the line, I start to reap the benefit of even that tough time of just sitting in his presence. Because he's doing a work in me that I'm not even aware of. He's doing something inside me that I'm not aware of at the time. Because that's what he said. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear fruit. You don't have to try and produce the fruit, Ken. You don't have to try and manufacture it, Ken. You don't have to try and be good to do anything to make it happen. Just abide in me and you will bear fruit. That's Christianity. It's what I call the true gospel. It's the true gospel. And so it was through that that I started to, as I say, understand the difference between relationship and fellowship. I have children, and many of you do. And uh, the relationship is father, son, daughter, whatever it is, father, son, daughter. Even when, and many of you know, when my kids went through a tough time, they were still my children. I was still their father. But what was broken between us was our fellowship. By the grace of God, he restores that. You understand what I'm saying? It's very key. It's very key. Second Corinthians 5, it'll come up on the back, but I want to give you the Moffat translation. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, if a man has accepted Christ and confessed him as his Lord, he is a new creature. I know Tommy preached on this. Wonderful sermon. The old things of sin, of spiritual death, and of union with Satan are passed away. Behold, they are new. All things of God who can reconcile us to himself through Christ. So when we get born again, we're entering into this new, brand new relationship. The Father's reconciled us. We now belong to the Father. We're a new creation. The old nature is driven out. And we're a new creation in our spirit man. Not in my mind, in my spirit man, which I'm going to explain later. The spiritual new creation has come into being and it's imparted to us eternal life. That Jesus said, that's what I came to bring, eternal life. And that word life is Zoe, as we know. It's the eternal life. And he builds it. It's the nature of God that he built into us when we got born again. It's like he breathed himself into us. Michelle, why don't you come here, please? Sorry, I like doing this because I can do this now. This is the same word when it says you were born again and he breathed life into you. It's the same word in the Old Testament where he said breathed life into Adam. So he literally created Adam out of the dust and he came and he said, thank you, I'm going to kiss my wife. And he mm, breathed life into her. Amen. Amen. It's the same thing. He says in your spirit, I breathed who I am into you because of the price paid by my son Jesus Christ. You're a new creation. The old is gone. It's gone. That is a fact of relationship. And we spent a lot of time on that at the end of last year. That is a fact of relationship. Amen. Believe that. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, 15, and 16. I don't have my notes here, but it's, I'll paraphrase it. He says, we're no longer, oh, let me not paraphrase, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. That's a fact. Child of God. That is the wonderful, wonderful fact of this relationship. The gracious heart of God desires that our relationship would be fruitful, much fruit, and lasting fruit. But that requires fellowship. That's what it requires, fellowship. It is that sweet communion between your spirit and the Father. 
It is that richness that comes through the unveiling of his word to your spirit man. It is that quiet assurance that fills your heart with faith and love and joy. It is that peace that comes, that transcends all understanding and guards your heart and your mind. That's the fellowship. Now, as I said, every time you sit down with him quietly, you don't always sense that, but that's what's taking place. That's what he wants to root in us and root in us and establish in us so that we begin to live from that place. Paul puts it in Galatians 5.16. So I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So he's putting it in his words. In Galatians 5.26, it's the same thing. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let keep in step with the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1.9. Again, I don't have it in my notes here, unfortunately. And so I have to look at the back. God who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus, our Lord, is faithful. Into fellowship. 2 Corinthians 13.14. I'll read the Amplified Version. The New King James will come up here. The grace that is the favor and spiritual blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the presence and fellowship. The communion and sharing together and participation together in the Holy Spirit will be with you. That's fellowship. It is to dwell, to stay, to settle in, to sink deeper in. That's what it is, to sink deeper in. Fellowship can be broken through neglect, through sin, or disobedience. Relationship not. Fellowship, yes, it can be broken. But then God has graciously given us a way to restore it. That's what I believe 1 John is all about. And so I think it comes up at the back, and I'll read it to you. 1 John, you all still with me? 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. I'll get there sometime this morning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, that our hands have touched, which we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, talking about Jesus, and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you so that you, what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. We write this to you to make your joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. It's a very direct piece of scripture, but that's true. We still have a relationship, but the fellowship's broken. And he's saying, therefore, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you. Come back, humble yourself before him. Keep short accounts, and so it can be restored and restored. John 15, if I can read this again, 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you will. If you remain in me and my word remains in you. We'll talk a little bit on that. Colossians 3.16, Paul puts it this way, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Because Christ and the word are one. You can't separate them. He is the word, the living word that came, the embodied word. He's given us his word, and him and his word are one. I remember reading Derek Prince when I was a new Christian, and he said, if you want to know how much you love Jesus, how much time do you spend in the word? It was quite, ooh, hang on. I remember reading his book, his foundation book. He said, because him and the word are one. As the word dwells in us through meditation, and I can't speak on that, it takes root in us. That's what it means to dwell. It becomes a part of our being. It lives in us. It is like Christ personally living in you when his word takes root in us. Let the word have its way in our lives is like letting Christ have his way in our life. It's like the Lordship of Christ. 
Christ becoming established in our life when the word has way in our lives. That's what it means to live under the Lordship of Christ. Put it this way. Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God continually because when you believed the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God which is at work in you who believe. Hallelujah. So I'll say it again, as I always say. Take this and go, yum, 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 yum. Take this, however you can. Go, yum, 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 yum. <laughs> and then it comes, yeah. And then when you have to make decisions, guess what pops out? The word. That's what pops out. Guess what helps you make those decisions? The Word. That's what happens. So then you make a decision because the Word is rooted in you. And it takes a while to get it rooted, really rooted in you. And then you make a decision and the Word is talking to you to make the decision this way. And so you make the decision and then down the line you'll see the fruit come. And all you did was make that decision, nothing else. And the fruit begins to come. Turn with me to Acts. Let's see some of the fruit. Acts, Acts chapter 6. I've got it written here. So the word of God spread. So the word of Acts 6, 7, I think it comes up on the back. So the word of God spread. That's some of the fruit. So how did the word of God spread? It had to come through somebody. It couldn't just float in the air by itself, if you understand what I'm saying. So it spread, not by itself. It had to come through somebody, and it had to be rooted in somebody over a period of time. And as they spoke it, the Word of God had impact. And the Bible said the disciples grew rapidly. The priest got saved, and Philip the Evangelist went and started a revival in Samaria. Because the Word of God grew. Acts 12, 24. I love this scripture. But the Word of God continued to increase and spread. If you read the context of Acts chapter 12, it is where Peter's in prison and the church is praying. And you know the story. Peter gets released. He knocks on the door and somebody opens and says, oh, that's Peter. Runs back and tells them that's Peter. And they say, no, no, no. We're praying for him. No, no, no. But it was Peter. And then because he got released supernaturally by the angels, Herod is very upset. You go read it. So he calls some people in. He says, how did this happen? And they can't explain it. So Herod is irate, so he goes and gives a speech. And as he's giving a speech, the people said they looked at him like a god. And because he didn't acknowledge God, the Bible says he died and the worms ate him. The very next word, and the word of God spread. It's like just one line. Yes, all this happening. Herod, think about it. How popular he was, or depending which way you stood, but... He was known and all that. Yes, Herod. And then one line, but the word. Herod dies, but the word of God spread and became more powerful. It's like you're going to work. And all that is happening in your work and people are struggling. And you've taken time to root the word in you. And the word of God spread in your work. God sees that. Everybody's looking at everything else. But God says, no, hang on, there's my word spreading. There's fruit coming. And everybody's focused on everything else, but the Lord's focused on that. His priorities are different to us. Are you with me? It's fellowship, people, it's fellowship. Acts 19.20, in this way, the word of God spread widely and grew in power. The only way it can grow in power is through people. So it grew in power in the people for it to come out of the people. James 1, this is another fruit. James 1, 21. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I don't know what translation. The NIV says, which can save your souls. That's the right translation. Which can save your souls. In other words, you saved, 
but the word of God that's inside of you and as you receive it will now begin to save your souls. What is he talking about? The next, you can go to the next script, next whatever it is. Thanks, Dwayne. You have God, you have your spirit, you're made up of minds, will, and emotions that's your soul and your body and that's the world. So when you got saved, your spirit became born again. Your spirit came alive. You were joined with your Father in heaven. You declared, I'm a child of God. You were forgiven. You have a new life. But it's in your spirit. It's not in your soul. And as the word of God takes root inside you, because God comes and he speaks to your spirit. And if our mind's not in the right place, or it's not at rest, we miss what God is trying to say through us, because it can't get through our soul and so our body can react on it. That's why Paul's talking about renewing the mind. Very, very important. And he's saying, so James is saying, and Peter said the same thing. As you receive this word, and as you let it to plant in you, it will save your soul. In other words, it will bring your mind into right focus. It will get your mind to think biblically. It will get your emotions and your will to line up with what God wants to do in and through you. That's what it'll begin to do. Who does that? The Word. Not Ken. The Word does that. Not Michelle. Sorry, Michelle. I don't do it in her. The Word. Only thing that can do that is the Word of God that's planted inside you. I can't do that. Paul put it this way. Go to the next scripture if you can, please. Romans, 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 where is it? Romans 8.13. Did I give you that scripture? Dwayne? Romans 8.13. I didn't give you that scripture. Sorry, it's a very key scripture. Paul puts it this way. I don't want to misquote it, so I'd rather read it. It's very important that we understand this because that's how fellowship develops. It's spirit by spirit that begins to impact our souls, and begins to work through our body. And Romans, this is how Paul puts it, Romans 8.13, if you live according to the sinful nature, in other words, you're born again, oh, thank you, Dwayne, well done. If you live according to the sinful nature of the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit, not by Ken, if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit, not by Ken, not by Ken trying hard. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So how does that take place? Get the Word inside you. Because that's the Spirit going inside you. The Word is implanting the Spirit. That's how it happens. The Word takes the Spirit, makes the Word alive. The Holy Spirit puts His anointing on it, puts His life on the Word of God that came, jumps out of you, goes in your heart, gets rooted and established in there. And then slowly your heart begins to shift and change in that way you think or that attitude you have or that habit you have. It slowly begins to work and undo it because the Word of God is alive and active and it's a double-edged sword dividing between soul and spirit and bone and marrow, judging or being aware of revealing all our thoughts and our attitudes. It goes deep inside. That's how it happens, people. And then fruitfulness comes. And I just live my life plugged into the Lord. I just live my life plugged into the Lord. And fruitfulness comes. And fruitfulness comes. And fruitfulness comes. Because this is going inside. However it goes inside. But only the Spirit can make it alive inside. That's why it's by the Spirit. That's how we save our soul. Very important that our minds begin to line up with the Word of God. When a person receives Christ as his personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in him. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God, just as a person's own spirit within him is the only one who knows his thoughts. So the Spirit of God is the only one who knows the mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and since he knows the mind of God, one of his purposes is to reveal to us God's wisdom and revelation. It's imparted to our spirit, remember that diagram, and our spirit then enlightens the eyes of our mind 
The Holy Spirit does this so we can understand on a practical level what God is trying to say to us. The spiritual significance on a practical level. So it's absolutely imperative that our minds are beginning to line up with the Word of God. Otherwise, the mind gets in the way of what God wants to do. That's what happens. The mind gets in the way. Even as a born-again believer, our lives will remain in chaos because of wrong thinking. Because of wrong thinking. It will remain in chaos because of wrong thinking. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks, so he is. It's impossible to live one way and think another way. Impossible. Impossible. So that's why the Lord wants to remove your mind as a child of God. It's helpful for the mind to be at rest and not to be consumed with anxiety or worry or fear because then we miss what the Holy Spirit speaking into our spirit. And so he wants to bring it to rest. So some scriptures come up at the back there. Thank you, Dwayne. The Isaiah 26.3 scripture says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Isaiah 30, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4, I didn't give you that scripture, that renew your mind with the attitude of your new life, and you keep renewing your mind with that attitude, that's what he's saying. So folks, this is what it means to abide, to abide, and one of the fruits is our souls get saved, begin to line up. It's good news, hallelujah. Another fruit is very simply, this is faith. How does faith come? We all know this, those of you who walked with the Lord. Faith comes through? Hearing. Hearing the word of God. When faith, sorry, faith comes when the word prevails over your thinking process. That's how faith comes. When your th- the word prevails over your thinking process, then faith begins to rise in your heart. That's how it comes. It's no... It's so much praying for faith, it's getting the word in you. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And this is what happens by faith. That's why, because faith is so important. Let me read this long list to you. That's what the Bible says happens by faith. I've done this before. We're healed, we're delivered, we're forgiven, we're obedient, we're encouraged, we live by faith, we're made righteous by faith, we're justified by faith, we receive the promises of God by faith, we gain peace with God through faith, we gain access into grace by faith, miracles are performed by faith, we receive the promise of the Spirit by faith, we're sanctified by faith, we fight the good fight of faith, the universe was formed by faith, sacrifices were offered by faith, we please God through faith. Move cities because of faith. Children were conceived by faith. Our future is blessed by faith. We worship in faith. We refuse the limelight in faith. We deny pleasure. We persevere through faith. The water was parted by faith. The walls fell by faith. The prostitutes were saved by faith. Kingdoms were conquered by faith. Battles were won by faith. Justice was administrated by faith. Lions were quieted by faith. We walked through fire by faith. And the dead are raised by faith. So faith is quite important. That's why we need faith to arise how many of you, and I know it happens to me, you have a tough day, you really have a tough day and just things are not right and then you have some moment where you can just get quiet with the Lord. And as you're quiet with him, it's like everything stalls inside you. And then he reminds you of something and as he reminds you, it's like faith begins to rise. Ah, oh, yes, we can walk through this. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's the fellowship. That's the fellowship. That's the abiding that he wants to do. And I found in my own life personally that as I do that more and more and as I allow that to root in me and establish in me, I begin to live from it in a more natural way than the way I used to live. It's just become second nature. We had a a, a, a door in our house. Oh my, I've got plenty of time. Hallelujah. Okay, we had a door in a house. I've shared that when you opened it, it got stuck on the carpet. And so you could only open it, if you know what I mean. And so you couldn't walk through it this way. You had to walk through it this way. And you know, I don't know how long it was like that. So we just got used to it. We have been that way. So one day I just had enough. I said, this is ridiculous. So I took the door off. It was a process. And I... Just sort of bit a piece of the bottom. I put it back on, and I, oh, hallelujah! Look at this. This is amazing, eh? That's what I did. And so, but I found that when I walked out the room, I, I just tended to open it halfway, 
And I had to teach myself to open it all way because I was so in the habit of just going so far. You understand what I'm saying? But yet now I could go the whole way. So I intentionally just kept pushing it open every time I went out. And about six months went by, and I was looking out my bedroom window, and I think it was Clayton. He was in the top of the tree, and he fell. It's not unusual, but anyway. So he <laughs> fell. <laughs> and so obviously, as a parent, you're worried. And so I ran out the room, and the door was closed, and I opened it, but I only opened it halfway in a panic. And I took two steps down the passageway, and I said, no, and I turned around, and I kicked it open. <laughs> and then I carried on running. <laughs> Why do I tell you that story? Because that's what happens inside us. That's how habits are broken. And the Lord plants his word in us. And slowly there's a process of adjustment that takes place. Slowly, slowly, until after a while that becomes a habit. But now it's a good habit. Now it's just part of how you live. And then the fruit comes and you think, how did that happen? It just comes. I'm not trying to make it happen. I'm not trying to show I'm fruitful. It just begins to happen. That's what this is about. Faith comes. The next thing that comes by peace. We've already read that scripture, so we'll skip over it, where the peace of God comes and transcends all understanding. Galatians 5.22 is what Galatians 5.22 says about fruit, and most of you all know this scripture. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That fruit you cannot produce in your life. You, you cannot make it happen. Without Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. That cannot become part of your life unless I abide in Christ. Unless I abide in Christ. Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of Ken. It's a fruit of the Spirit, man. All right. Let me read something to you. Let me end there. There's an old piece of paper, as you can see. It's tattered, torn. When this became a reality to me, this is what I wrote down. And as I was preparing it, I found it. I didn't look for it. I just... Oh, okay, let me see what I wrote there. And I sometimes think, my, did I write that? That's, yeah. Who knows what I'm talking about? You think, jeez, that's amazing, eh? No, my, that's jeez, Because <laughs> it's God, if you know what I mean. You can't believe it. So I just, <laughs> you just can't. So I put the true gospel, and I just underlined the true gospel. Starts eternally. Evidence of the eternal workings will, and I've underlined will, show an outward manifestation in due time. The ongoing eternal workings will have an ongoing outward manifestation. Therefore, the true gospel will produce an inward heart change as well as a living, vital, active, and intimate relationship with Jesus. The key of the Christian living and in order to continue this wonderful relationship in a deeper and deeper way is the inward working of the Holy Spirit through trust. That the Holy Spirit within will do the eternal heart desire changing work. Then in obedience to that working, it will produce an outward change and manifestation it must be and can only be from the inside out and not from the outside in. That's the heart of Christianity. It changes us inside, we change outwardly. My expression changes, what I do changes, but it's got to start inside. It's got to start inside. That's what abiding does as we learn to abide in him. It's a process, fruit will come. Why have I touched on this? Because I feel like this year is a fruitful year. This year is a fruitful year. Last year, I'm not saying it wasn't fruitful, but I just believe the Lord is really desiring fruit to come from us this year. Last year, like we were curtailed by the workings of many things, and we were able to spend a little more time with the Lord, to do things differently. 
which I think drove many of us back to the Lord. I know it did me, asking questions. And then the work process begins in my heart as I go to him. And I ask him, and I spend time with him. Then a work starts in my heart that I'm not even aware of at the time. I'm not even aware of at the time. I'll tell you one last story. This became a very, very profound impact on me when, and I'm just telling the story just so, um, yeah, I don't know how else to tell it. When we were back in South Africa, just before we came to America, I was asked to go to a church in another city. And um, I'd met this pastor at different airports. I'd never been to his church, Michelle and I, Grant Crawford, never been there. But every airport we went into, I bumped into this man. And so we used to have coffee, his wife and my wife, and we'd chat, and that's how I got to know him. And then one day we bumped into him, I think, in an airport can't remember where it was. And so we said, uh, when's your flight? When's your flight? No, it's a couple of hours. So let's have a meal together. We had a meal together. And as we were sitting there, he said to me, Ken, what does God do in you and through you? He said, just tell me straight. Don't try and be humble. Just tell me. So I said, well, I believe one of the things he's doing and he's busy teaching me is just how to release the anointing. So I said, great, come and do that in my church. So I said, hang on, Grant. (laughs) Hang on. Because now all he's asking, don't come preach. Just come and let the presence of God fall in my church. That's what he's asking. So Michelle knows. We're six months down the line. I said, God, what's the, what am I going to I don't know what to do. Anyway, you get busy with life. But I remember every day I made a determined effort to say, Lord, I'm going to pray for this time and pray for this time. There are a couple of days I missed. We went down to that particular city, and in the morning we did one church, and in the evening we are going to his church. And when we arrived there at 6 o'clock in the evening, there were people everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And I said to him, Grant, what have you told these people? And he just <laughs> laughed at me. And we walked into the service, and there were people at holds, I don't know, Michelle, how many, held 2,000 people, but the people were full, and they were standing against the wall, and they were standing against the wall. They were standing in the aisles. And at the back, they were standing on the back. So I walk in and I, I said, Grant, what have you told these people? He just smiles at me. <laughs> so we do the worship. And as we do the worship, I, I'm so nervous, I'm shaking. I have no clue what to do. I'm just being honest with you. My mind is going like this. I'm singing, but I have no clue what I'm singing. Because your mind is just... <laughs> It's going, and I'm thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? And I'm saying, God, please, God, please. But six months prior to that, we went through a tough season, Michelle and I. And I had taken, in that tough season, there were days that I would go into a room and switch the light off, and through the speakers that I'd set up, I'd play worship music, and I'd just lie on the floor and cry. That's what happened, literally, for hours, three, four hours at a time. I'd just lie on the floor and cry. And just weep because of the season we were going through. And just weep and cry out to God. And weep and cry out to God. And the next morning when I got up, something happened inside me. I couldn't wait to get back on the floor. Now, you can't manufacture that. It's just he put that desire in me to do that, if you understand. And I'd come to a wit's end concerning some things, and I knew I needed him. So I'd just say that to lead up to that. So after the worship ends, he gets up, he introduces me, and he says, you can trust this guy. And I'd never preached in his church. So I get up on the stage and I look at these people and I had no clue. I'm being honest. I'm standing there. I had no clue what to say. So I reverted back to what I would normally revert back to. I just stopped beginning to tell my testimony. And I was about 10 minutes into the testimony and I felt like the God speak to me and say, now. And as he said, now, faith came into me. The gift of faith entered my heart. And I knew, like I knew, like I knew God was about to do something. I didn't know what it was. And I said, Grant, it's about to happen. He said, do what you need to do. So, you know, when faith enters your heart like that, it's God's faith. You get a boldness that is beyond you. So I turned to one side and I said, this group, there were about 300 people here. And I said to this group, stand, please stand. 
So they stood. And I said, in the name of Jesus, receive. And that whole group, 300 of them, hit the floor. Not one person remained standing. Not one. Ask Michelle. Not one. Not one. Chairs came up. People went back. Some went back two rows. I'm serious. Some, as they hit the floor, they just went through a deliverance. Wow. Now I really have faith. <laughs> but it's not me. I knew it's not me. So I said, the middle section stand. And the same thing happened in the end section stand. We started at 6 o'clock. We did a, I don't know how long the worship was, maybe 25 minutes. I spoke for 10, so maybe let's go 45 minutes. It was quarter to 7. We walked out of there at about 12.30 that night. God invaded that place. But I mean invaded that place. A guy I met later who actually came to this church when it first started, Peter. He was in that service. And when he came to America, he found out where we were and he said, I want to come. So he introduced himself and I said, oh, you were growing? Yes, yes. He said, you'll never believe I was in that meeting. So I said, oh, were you? He said, I was standing at the back. I was standing, leaning against the wall. And when you said, stand in the middle section, as you put your hand up, somebody came and took my feet out from underneath me, and I just fell flat. And he said, from that day to day, I've never been the same. And I realized what happened before God was setting me up for that. And so sometimes you go through tough times, people. God is at work. God is at work. We don't see it, but God is at work. He's setting you up for success. That's what he's doing. Because when you go through tough times, you press into him. You run to him. We all do. When our finances are struggling, when relationships are struggling, and he's busy setting you up for success. He's setting you up for fruit. And we don't even know it because of his goodness, because of his grace, because he loves fellowship. He loves us to fellowship with him. He loves, above all else, for us to fellowship with him.